Evening, church. <laughs> Some passages are like chocolate. The moment you put it in your mouth, it, it melts, and it's really sweet, and it's heartwarming. But other passages are like gobstoppers, hard candy. You put it in your mouth, you can try to bite at it, but you're going to break your teeth. But there's still a way to digest the gobstopper. Is you just have to suck on it really long, a really long time. And it could hurt your jaw, but it takes time to digest. So the passage that we're looking at tonight, it's, it's going to take a while for you to really understand it, for, for it to really sink in. But first off, let me start with telling you a story. When I, when I first became a pastor around eight years ago in Brisbane, I was newly hired, recently hired and newly hired by this church. And not many people knew who I was. And I didn't know many people as well. So being a good pastor that I am, I went around to try to get to know my congregation. And there at the corner of my eye, I see these two big guys. I was just admiring them. They had big guns. Their, their neck was the size of my waist. <laughs> They're just really big guys. And so I wanted to befriend them. I wanted to be, why? Because if something goes down, they got my back. You know what they say, if you don't have any muscles, you befriend some. That's not true. I made that up. So I, tr- so I, I had a motive to try to befriend them. Any other. And, and I went up to them and I asked, hey, Andrew and, and Peter, what are you guys doing on Saturdays? Let's, let's hang out. And Andrew replies, oh, we do something called CrossFit. And I'm like, what's that? And he said, it's just some light exercise. And I'm like, oh, oh, cool, 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 cool. I'll, I'll be there, man. I'll be there. I'll, I'll meet you at the park and I'll be there this Saturday. And this, if you don't know what CrossFit is, this is the Google definition of it. It is a high-intensity fitness program incorporating elements from several sports type of exercises, and it will kill you. Okay, this is the common, this is the CrossFit motto. I thought I was strong until I tried CrossFit. That's the motto of it. It really nearly killed me. So here's how the story goes. I get to my destination. I get to the park. And from the very get-go, Peter was fully going at me. He was really tough and rough. He was ruthless with me. Man, I was doing these push-ups. He, he didn't know I was a pastor. I was doing these push-ups, and he's like, you only did 10 push-ups, you little S. And there was, the language was really colorful. And he said, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm like, okay. And I'm doing these push-ups, and, and my arms were nearly dead, and he's telling me to do chin-ups. And I was doing chin-ups, and then my, my arms gave way, but somehow I was I still going up because he was lifting me up and down. And he's like, keep going. I'm like, okay, okay. And I was so in pain. What happened was this happened. Okay, I just vomited. (laughs) And I kid you not, my first CrossFit experience, I vomited about eight times. And this was the eighth time. All right. There was nothing left inside my system. Every food, every liquid, every gut that I had inside me was gone. It was gone. And only then, when I was about to pass out, Andrew kind of whispered to to Peter, Dude, you know he's the new pastor, right? (laughs) 
Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he repented right there and then because he knows he could go to hell for killing off his pastor. I was so sore for days and days and weeks onwards. I was, and during that time of my pain, I was thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? I wasn't mentally ready. I wasn't emotionally ready. And I surely wasn't physically ready to take on CrossFit. Now, here's the thing. Don't we all, whatever journey or whatever task that we set out to do, don't we all like either school exams, marriage, mortgage, starting up a new business, don't we all just want to be best prepared for the things to come? Don't we all? Because if you don't, if you, if you do things in ignorance, when you weren't really prepared, when things hit you, what's going to happen is you most likely are going to quit. When things get out of hand and, and things get hard, most likely you're going to bail. Because when times get rough and tough, you're going to be saying things like, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't meant to how I thought it I thought it'd be different. Why is it turning out like this? I'm out. I quit. So whatever part of life that you are walking now, you want to be best prepared. Now, I was not ready for CrossFit, but that's okay because the consequences of that was I only vomited a few times. But as your pastor, as the messenger of God, and speaking the word of Jesus Christ tonight, I want you to be fit for the cross as in spiritually fit, to carry your cross every single day. Now, before I start, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you be with us. Give us ears to hear. Lord, this is a hard-hitting passage. Uh, but Lord, may your Holy Spirit help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Count the cost of being a disciple. Jesus starts off with, suppose one of you want to build a building, wouldn't you want to estimate if you have enough resources to finish off the building? Because if you only start with the foundation and just leave it there, but never finish the product, all who's going to see that is going to laugh at you. It's going to mock you. In other words, what Jesus is saying, an unfinished building is just an eyesore. Have we not seen unfinished buildings and products? They're, they're not pretty, are they? It's a waste. It becomes a waste of good land. And sometimes it becomes more of a nuisance than anything because it blocks off road and it's just, it's a hazard. It's dangerous. Before I left to Perth, when I was still in Brisbane, there was um, this, this bridge, this bridge project. It was meant to connect these two city suburbs in Brisbane together, uh, Ipswich and Red Bank. But this bridge was never completed. And what happened was, you know, you know the name of this bridge, the nickname of it? The locals call it the bridge to nowhere. And all the people did was complain about the government, complain about the council. You guys started over here and you guys started over there, but the bridge is not connecting. It is a waste of money. It is a waste of investment. You guys are stupid. You guys are dumb. This, this was why isn't it complete yet? We spent $24 million on it and it's not completed. Like you, you should have worked it out. 
So all they received was mocking and scorning. So in a sense, what Jesus is warning us tonight is that if we don't count the costs, if we start off something but don't finish it, let's say you start a race and don't finish it, all your reward is going to be is, is scorning. Then verse 31, Jesus gives us another example of being prepared or planning or counting the cost. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Will he not sit down and count his men? Because if the other king has way more men, then most likely he's not going to go for war. He's going to aim for peace or a treaty or something like that. Church, have you ever been outnumbered? Because I have a lot. Well, one day I, I remember I was riding my bike after school and to go to the shops to get my daily dose of candy and um, to check out which Pokemon cards were selling in the card vending machine back in those days. And I was just going usual, it's, it's my daily route, and, and then I was stopped by a bunch of kids and one of the kids said, hey, they're from a different school. Hey, he's wearing the same socks as us, but he's from a different school. Get him. And I did a quick count. Dexter did a quick count. One, two, three, five of them. One Dexter. Dexter, run. <laughs> to the window, to the window. That, that was my motto of escaping. Now, I did badly in my school grades. And I'm not good at math, but I wasn't stupid enough to fight. Why? Because the odds were against me. Here's the thing, church. If you don't think it's worth the fight, then don't fight. So tonight, Jesus is telling us to take our discipleship very seriously. To count the cost of being a disciple. No way, Dexter. What, what, do you, what do you mean? I thought salvation was free. What do you mean there's a cost now? You always talked about grace, how it's free and stuff. Now you're talking about a cost. Are you contradicting yourself? Believing in Christ is free. Yet at the same time, it will cost you your everything. Believing in Christ is free, but at the same time, it will cost you your everything. Now I'll use the rest of the time of the sermon to try to explain that to you. And to explain to you what I mean by that. Because if it was up to me, if I was a salesperson right now trying to sell you Jesus, when I read passages like this, so much hate speech, apparently. Like, man, this is culturally not good by the politically correct type of people, those lefties. lefties. Man, I, if, if I was a salesperson and trying to sell Jesus to you with this passage, I would just skim over it. I'll just skim over it. Because if salvation was written on a written contract, if it was so, if I was advertising it to you, I would advertise to you, highlight to you all the great benefits. Oh, you get joy, love, peace, you get forgiveness, you get grace, you get eternal life, and the list goes on and on. And just when you thought I was done, but then I would say, but wait, there's more. You get the Holy Trinity, you get the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, you get God Himself. Yeah, you want that. Yeah, just sign here and here. Done deal. And passages like this, I would leave at the back in small fine print so then you won't even read over it. Why? Because I'm that sly. But Jesus being who he is, 
He is the truth. And therefore, He compels us with the truth to come to the truth. He would write in bold capital letters or red letters, according to your Bible. He says, if you are to follow me, guess what? You're going to have to hate a lot of people. Your dad, your mom, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even yourself. And if you can't, then you can't be my disciple. There's no room for bartering here. And who is he saying this to? He wasn't saying it to just his 12 disciples. No, if you read in the passage, he was talking to a multitude of people, to a crowd, and it's us included here. Because discipleship is not optional. It is a command. And Jesus does not have different standards for different type of people. There's only one type of standards. There's no two stages of Christianity or there's no two different types of Christianity. You have on one side the casual Christians who just goes to church once in a while and just pray once in a while and they think it's good enough. And there's no the devout Christians who, who are not cases who become pastors and missionaries. No, no, there's only one type of Christian. There's only one standard for Christianity. And it's either you are a disciple of Jesus or you're not. That's it. Like if you go to a hotel and let's say the room is $100 per night, you just can't go to the boss or the manager and say, hey, look, I'm not really going to use the bathroom. I'm not going to use that space. Give it to me for $30. Of course, he's going to say no. It's either you pay for the whole room or you don't. Now, this is what you call an all-in or fold in poker. Jesus does not make a sly deal. He's not trying to cover anything up. He doesn't go, yes, follow me. You get God. You get all, all of this. You get eternal life. You get forgiveness of sin. And he doesn't turn around and whispers to his disciples, but there be crosses. He doesn't do that. He says it clearly. Pretty much. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to hate a lot of people. Oh, I can see confusion in your eyes right now. Because this doesn't sound like the Jesus that we know, right? Because the Bible talks about honoring your father and your mother. Doesn't the Bible talk about husbands loving their wives and, and wives vice versa? Doesn't the Bible talk about valuing our kids as God's inheritance? Doesn't the Bible talk about whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister is a liar? What? What's, what's going on? Jesus, are you cranky? Did you lack sleep like Ariel? Do you need a snicker because you're not the same when you're hungry? What's going on? The best way for me to explain to you what's going on is from Genesis 29. So you can go home and you can read that story for yourself. It's about a guy named Jacob, and he meets a girl named Rachel. And Rachel, she was a strong woman. Why? Because when Jacob first saw Rachel... He saw that Rachel moved this huge stone lid off a well to, to give water to her sheep. Now he was miring, and, and, and this was love at first sight for him. And you know what the first thing he did was? He ran up to her, and he kissed her, and then he started crying. <laughs> and it worked! 
Now this is the Bible, how to get a girl 101. So single guys in my congregation, give it a shot. Go kiss a girl and just cry. Now, if you get sued for assault, that's not my fault. <laughs> it worked, and, and their relationship went insanely fast. Insanely fast. I was thinking Usain Bolt. <laughs> Within one month, one month, Jacob asked Laban, Rachel's father, if he could marry Rachel. Oh, man, that's, that's talk about moving quick. But then Laban says, all right, all right, all right. Work for me seven years, and then you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. And the Bible says, Jacob said, okay. And he works for seven years. And the Bible tells us that these seven years only felt like a few days to Jacob. Man, this guy was madly in love with Rachel. And seven years come. It's the wedding day, and Jacob is partying hard and he gets lost in his festivity and Laban found this window of opportunity and he switched out the daughters at night and Jacob has no clue he's just and only in the morning he wakes up ah! <laughs> you're not you're not Rachel you're the other girl you're you're Leah you're the oldest sister what's going on Laban you played me bro what are you doing? And he gets really angry and he goes, runs up to Laban and he says, Laban, you played me, man. What are you doing? It's meant to be Rachel. But Laban says, okay, cool, cool, cool. Before you get angry at me, this is just in our custom. If you really want Rachel, work another seven years. Jacob's like, all right, all right. He was so in love with her that even these next seven years, it only felt like a few days to him. And finally, he marries the girl of his dream and he's over the moon about it. Now, what I really want you to look at is chapter, Genesis chapter 29, verse 30 to 31. Verse, it says, verse 30, it says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Now, just from that, he loves them both, but he just loves one more. You get that? You got that first part? But then in verse 31, when God saw that Leah was hated, hey, that, that doesn't make sense. On the one hand, it says that he just loved one more. So, But then how God views it, he views that as hate. You see that? What's going on here? Now, the word hate doesn't mean hostility. The word hate in the Bible, in its original language, there's two meanings. To hate actively and to hate comparatively. When the Bible uses the word hate here, it doesn't mean Jacob was an abusive husband. He could have been an all right husband who provided, who did all his husbandly duties to, to Leah. He, he, he might have not been mean to her. He didn't curse at her. He didn't beat her. He could have been an all right husband. But verse 30 already hinted to us, Jacob loved Rachel way more in comparison. So his love for Rachel was so great that his love for Leah just looks like hate. You with me? And Jesus used this word hate in the very same way in today's passage. 
Jesus isn't telling us to literally go out and be hostile to our mums and dads and to everybody, to be hostile to our wives and to our husband and to our kids and to our brothers and sisters, even though sometimes our brothers and sisters, it's really easy to be hostile with them. But rather, Jesus is telling us to hate comparatively. This is what the discipleship that Jesus wants. Yeah, I want you to still honor your father, your mother. I want you to have a good marriage. Love your wife, love your husband. But I want you and me, you and I, to be way more tight. Metaphorically, let me be the sun and everybody else be stars. During the daytime, we don't see the stars. But science tells us the fact is that stars are everywhere. But why don't we see stars during the daytime? Why? Because the sun is out. The sun outshines everything. That's the way that Jesus wants you to love him. Let him be so radiant that everything else fades away. That's the type of discipleship that he wants. Now, there's also a warning in this passage because the opposite of that is, is I, idols. Because if you don't do this, you're, if you're not a disciple, you're an idol worshiper. So kids, don't turn your parents into idols. Don't think that you have to study so hard to get good marks so then your parents will be pleased and only when they're pleased, they give you their approval, only then do you feel self-worth. No, no, no. Your self-worth should come from a better source, from God himself. And vice versa, parents, don't idolize your kids. Don't feel that they have to achieve something, that they have to do great things for you to feel like a somebody. No, 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 no. Your identity should be in Christ and in Christ alone. I know this is a hard-hitting passage. But Jesus said, all this wasn't out of an act of for you to be hostile. It wasn't out of an act of destruction, but it was out of an act of love and, and life. There's benefits to this. Why? I'll tell you the benefits. Because when you love Christ so much that everything else just looks like hate, you will actually end up loving others more because you love Christ more. Here's what I mean. It's like durian. For you who don't know what durian looks like, it looks like this. Okay. It is the type of fruit that smells so bad that it often gets mistaken as gas leaks. <laughs> who here likes durian? Anybody? Okay, oh, quite a few. But when I was younger, I hated durian. I hated it with a passion. Because every time I smelt it, I'm like, (laughs) gag every time. But since marrying a Chinese Malaysian and seeing Demi enjoy durian so much, out of my love for Demi, I would also want to enjoy what she enjoys. And so what happened was I also started trying out durian. Oh, not so bad. And, and now out of my love for Demi, I also love durian. <laughs> so 
So here's the thing, church. If you have problems in your marriage in the future, the answer is not to love your husband more or your wife more. No, no, it's to love Christ more. Same with if you have problems with your kids or with your parents, the answer is not to love them more. No, no, it's love Christ more. Because when you love Christ more, you will end up with a heart like Christ. It will break, your heart will break for what breaks his. You will start to love for what he loves. You will start to cultivate a heart for the lost. And you will be sacrificial in all your relationship like how he was sacrificial to you. So after this whole spew about hating all these other people, and then he's, Jesus then turns around and he says the ultimate thing. After the whole spew about hating others, the hardest part of today's culture is when Jesus says, yes, even hate yourself. Even hate yourself. Love me more than you love yourself. Now, have you noticed there's a photography technique called the selfie, which literally means you just take a photo of yourself. That's it. This is how self-centered humanity has become. When you look at a group photo, do you know who you look for first? You. And if the photo is good or bad, it depends if you look good or bad. You love yourself. We love ourselves. That's the truth. Now, maybe for some of you, you're not studying for your parents. You're studying for yourself because you love yourself. Don't get me the wrong. Don't get me the wrong way. Is that how I say? Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Studying is good. I should study more. <laughs> studying is good. But it's not the best thing when it takes priority over God. The problem is when you turn a good thing into a God thing. That's, that's when the problem starts. Because every time you have an assignment due, or every time the exam is around the corner, you think that you can skip church. And like, God will be alright with this. Because Why? You rather worship, here's the truth, you rather worship, instead of worshiping the Lord, you rather worship the God of studies. You rather worship the God of money and the God of career. Because if you really view God more important than yourself, then you will make time for Him. You will make time for Him. Also, this goes to you who chronically come late to church every single week. Also, this goes to you who prioritize your family when they're here. I know this is a hard-hitting passage. And it actually took me a lot of courage just to write this down and say this to you. But I'm doing this not to make our church more religious. No, no. Because if you really have that intimate relationship with Jesus... You will make time for him. Not just on a Sunday, but every single day. Devotion time, time of prayer, time of worship. You would do that. But then some of you will say, Oh, but Dexter, I hate myself already. I hate myself. I loathe myself. Look, that's still very egotistic of you. Because when Jesus says hate yourself, it doesn't mean self-loathing, self-disgust. You don't beat yourself up. 
It doesn't mean that because that's still very selfish of you. Why? Because that's still very self-centered of you. Because you're still so absorbed with yourself. Your focus is just on yourself rather than in Christ. So Dexter, then how do we hate ourselves? What do we do? What do we do then? Jesus tells us in the next verse, this is how we are to hate ourselves. It is to pick up the cross and follow him. It is to pick up your cross and follow him. Now what does this mean? Carrying the cross, is it a literal cross? Is it the cross around my neck as the necklace? Or is it a, wearing the cross as a tattoo somewhere? Does that mean carrying the cross? No. This is what it means. It pretty much means dying to yourself. You don't make the choices anymore. He does. You're now a living sacrifice. And in a nutshell, that's what it means. Dying to yourself. Now, dying to myself is hard. You can ask Demi. I love myself. <laughs> I, would spend, I can spend time just reading. I'm an introvert. I can just read all day and, and do nothing. But I know I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God needs to advance. And, and um, it's servant. Now, someone said this. I can't give you the name because I forgot who, it's, who said it. But he said something along these lines. Carrying the cross may not be a heavy burden that brings you down. But the cross that you bear is pretty much the wings to a dove. In which a dove used to fly. So it pretty much means you really can't fly if you have no wings. And you really can't be a disciple if you have no cross. Some of you, some of us need to pick up our cross tonight. A lot of us need to die to ourselves because some of us are addicted to games, addicted to sleep, addicted to comfort, addicted to pornography, and addicted to a whole bunch of things I don't want to know. We need to die to ourselves. And here's the other thing, here's the other implication about picking up the cross. Because back in the biblical context, Back in history, once you see someone pick up a cross, you know that's pretty much the last thing that they do. It's not like you can carry the cross and then one moment you're like, oh, me no like and just drop the cross. No, you can't do that. You can't do that back in the past. So after this sermon ends, you can totally ignore what I've just said. You can not die to yourself and just live life happy-go-lucky as you were. Or you can pick up your cross and continuing carrying it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, any day that ends with why. I can't sugarcoat this for you. I can't make it any easier for you. All I can try to do is change your perspective of, of how heavy your cross is. If you know me, you know that I was born on a boat while my family was fleeing from Vietnam. And so I lived in Indonesia for five and a half years, and then we migrated to Australia. Now, when I first came to Australia, I loved, I fell in love with this country. Why? Man, this country accepted my family. This country 
you know, gave us Centrelink, Medicare, and they, they helped us with housing, free education, freedom of speech. In other words, Australia was a free country. But a free country was fought for and paid for. Sacrifices of the heroes of the Anzacs. So every time during the national anthem as my school, school sing, I would sing that anthem with pride. And no, I would not sing it for you tonight. And in the very same sense, here's why I love Christ. I'm not just looking at all the benefits that He gives. Yes, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, grace, blessing, so on and so on. But no, no, no. But Christ first accepted me. Christ paid for me. Christ sacrificed Himself for me, gave everything up for me. He died for me. Because He first picked up His cross, I then can pick up my cross. Because He first died for me, then only then can I die to myself. Because He first loved me, only then can I love Him. So I can sum up this sermon like this. Discipleship is loving Christ that everything in every other relationship just looks like hate. And discipleship is bearing one's cross and following Him. Notice how everything that Jesus says He has led the way. When you pick up your cross, you're not just picking it alone. You don't have, it's not like you don't have a leader who you're clueless and lost. No, no, no. We have the role model. We have Christ as the leader. Discipleship is picking up our cross, denying ourselves and following Him. I'll end it off with a Charles Spurgeon quote. There is no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. So pick up your church cross. I mean, pick up your cross, church. God bless you, church. Love you.